0: Teachings of Water August 1st, 2021 The square is transformed in the rain. As I sit at my window, I watch Aken being roundly baptized. The pipes gush rainwater into the cobbled streets, streets that have come alive, looking all the world like canals as they slough great sheets of water down their length. I smell the freshness of this summer storm as it washes us clean lightning stabs at the earth and thunder rolls in fury the skies have been lowering all day it was time for a release i have been working with these waters lately or rather the waters have been working with me i have been learning about water about its magic about what it has to teach us about our own magic water is a crystal after all programmable and perfectly responsive to the intentions we infuse into it. There are many studies on the responsiveness of water, how it forms complex temples to our words. When we sing to it, whisper to it, it takes on the form of our vibration. At night, before bed, I hold a glass of water in my hands and whisper to it. I speak to it of my hopes and dreams. I write a word, joy, love, peace, surrender, onto a slip of paper, and place the glass of water on top. All night, the water forms into the sacred geometric patterns of that intention, and in the morning, sleepily groping in the half-dark, I drink it. I drink in joy, peace, love, surrender, and it shapes my body. It shapes my life slowly from the inside out. We have not begun to plumb the depths, so to speak, of the magic and potential of water. And there is something happening now, having to do with water, something that is shaping the consciousness of our world. I was told this, I received this, and I transmit it here faithfully. I shall tell a story, reader, and like Scheherazade, I will stop. Not for self-preservation, but because the ending is as yet unknown. It is being written as we speak. Once upon a time, long, long ago, All creatures lived on the earth in a state of unity. In those days, the earth's axes were not tilted, but aligned exactly vertically. This removed the extremities of the seasons, and all of earth lived in warmth and fecund abundance. In those far off days we call Eden, when the earth was first born, the human tribes that walked her gardens lived with one another in harmony. Children and adults alike remembered their perfect divinity and through this remembering, commanded the power and mastery of omniscient creation. These tribes walked on earth as self-actualized children of God, manifesting into being miraculous things. Because all manifestations were overseen by a higher power, all that they created benefited all beings. On an earth such as this, there was no need for killing, manufacturing, war, competition, toiling, or exploitation. The beings who lived at that time knew the secrets of water. They knew that water is a crystal and can be programmed through intention and the vibration of the voice. We see to this day studies on the shape of water as it forms temples to our words. But what we know of water today is child's play compared to the advanced understanding of these beings from long ago. One thing they knew is that water carries memories. It is a complex crystal that forms itself in response to stimulus and intention. Water is not created or destroyed, but lives in an infinite loop, rising and falling on Earth. When the cataclysm hit, such as it was, everything changed. Earth suffered a mighty blow, which tilted her orbit and instantly froze the oceans at either pole. The races who lived at that time knew too what we are only just now beginning to discover. Water is a record keeper. It holds memory. This means that the water in circulation that we see and drink and bathe in has the history of the planet written in its quantum field. What though of the water that froze so long ago? That water, instantly frozen, has been perfectly preserved in time. It holds the language, the knowing, the unwritten secrets of those ancient races. Now, as the ice caps melt, the water trickling forth is an inventory, a perfectly preserved record of that time period. The water of the ice caps remained frozen and inaccessible during humanity's long, long period of separation. It was removed from the water cycle and holds no memories or knowledge, no vibrational records of the age of darkness and separation. This water is perfect, pure, and divine instantly frozen and perfectly preserved, it holds and transmits only frequencies of perfect harmony. Now, as these ice caps melt, they release long dormant ascension codes into the water cycle of the earth. These codes, the purity of this water, is in the process of infusing our current consciousness with the living memory of paradise, of Eden, of oneness consciousness and a time before separation. We are made of water, and as we drink, we become our own salvation. Memories naturally awaken within us, memories of peace, of joy, memories of ancient spiritual technology for healing and rebirth. We take in this ancient knowledge, letting it fill us, letting it become us, and we naturally, effortlessly rise in consciousness. We infuse this ancient purity with the wisdom gained from eons of suffering, and in doing so, we begin to embody a new Eden on Earth, one that has alchemized suffering into joy, into wisdom, and into peace. In this way, the Earth created a fail-safe mechanism for her own salvation, preserving in her very blood memories of untrammeled divinity. I sit and watch the rain, blessed and mysterious, pouring from rooftops and sweeping through the cobbled streets, As I watch it drip from the eaves and baptize the swallows in their nests, I wonder what Scheherazade would wonder. As I think of Eden blossoming forth in our collective consciousness, I ask, is this a memory of the past or of the future? The teachings of water continued, here and now, then and always. I crouch at a stone edge of the fountain. Below me, a deep pool of still, clear water. I look around and see that Claire and I are alone. The day is overcast, spitting rain, the drops falling on my rose-colored dress, a cold benediction. I gather the hem of my dress to my waist and slip into the pool. The water rises to my thighs, wetting my skin and clothes. I'm not supposed to do this, but there is no one here but God and Claire to witness. I see a crystal at the bottom by my feet and I grope through a cloud of gathering tadpoles to claim it. We are at the Fontaine des Sales, an old and mysterious site only a few miles from where I'm staying in Aken. The fountains are not the bubbling edifices I expected, but deep, quiet pools. Claire picked me up and we drove together. Claire is my best friend here in France. She is a woman, British, some 15 years my senior. Despite the many gulfs that separate us, age, experience, temperament, nationality, we are as close as sisters. She is quiet and kind with a formidable intelligence. She works with sound as a mechanism for healing, and in her stone house, set back from the road, she has a shimmering collection of crystal bowls, each with a name and residing spirit. She knows them all intimately, and if you are lucky enough to lay in her sanctuary, you will watch her summon these shining spirits forth from the mouth of each bowl. They vibrate at her command, their healing presence unlocking what lies within the seeker at her feet. Claire knows everything about this area of France. She is a mystic and a seer, and she receives messages from the land and the ancient ones who have walked here. Today, she took me to the Fontaine. I stood soaking in the water and, bringing a finger to my mouth, marveled at its taste. Despite the fact that this area of France is entirely landlocked, the water in these fountains is warm and salty. Claire explained that the pools are filled with the amniotic fluid from the earth. I climb out, shivering, clutching the crystal. We sit for some time crouched over the pools, the desultory rain dotting the surface of the water. It was then that Claire tells me the story of this place, the story that is hidden from most. This area of France, the Rye Isle of Avalon, was a thoroughfare for Templar knights in the medieval days. It, some scholars claim, was the actual stronghold of King Arthur, and not Glastonbury, as many believe. Claire had a story for me, not of King Arthur, but of his mysterious and beautiful sister, Morgan le Fay. Morgan le Fay was sister to legendary King Arthur. She was unmarried, a high priestess, a wise woman, and she presided over a powerful sisterhood of healers. They lived here at Fontaine-les-Salis, commanding the magic of its womb-like waters for the healing and restoration of Templar Knights who had been wounded in body and mind during their battles. I wondered what these fountains had looked like in the days of Morgan the Fay, the beautiful healer who worked with these magical waters to restore the sick, the wounded, the weary. As Claire and I wandered in the rain, peering into the dark, still pools, the air of the place felt laden with Morgan's secrets. Who lay on the stone beds like offerings on a sepulcher awaiting her ministrations? Templar knights who had given their bodies, minds, and sanity to a cause? How desperately did those knights cling to that cause when all else had flown? When they lay here in this garden, perhaps they were no longer knights, but men broken by faith. I wanted to know Morgan's secrets. I breathed the air as if I could bring her knowledge into my body. Claire dropped me off at home and I found myself inexplicably exhausted. It was not an exhaustion of the mind or body, but something deeper. It felt like an exhaustion of the soul, as though I had come as far as I possibly could carrying a very real but unknown and unseen burden. Despite the early hour of the day, I crawled into bed and brought the soft covers up around my chin. As I drifted away, I felt Morgan DeFay's presence wrapping around me like the scent of the amnionic waters that still clung to my skin. Suddenly, I was standing under an awning at night. The street lamps glowed all around. Rain, the omnipresent baptism, pattered on the cobbled streets, pooling and rippling in the dim glow of the lamps. A man, a friend from long ago, stood with me, his arm around me comfortably. We stood together. He was very tall and solid, and I leaned against him, feeling safe. He leaned down and kissed me on the top of my head. I showed him a book I'd been reading. It had a black cover stroked with a white, wide, feathery streak down the center. I opened the book to a middle page and showed my friend the clusters of sacred geometry depicted there. I told him it was the sacred geometry of the feminine. There were seven clusters, and I spoke to him about how each had specifically to do with the twin rays of powerful ascended masters. One in particular I showed him was the cluster related to the wife of Thoth. The book showed how there were these simple and specific patterns of sacred geometry of the feminine that had been cut out or removed from canonical texts without which we could not be whole. My friend recognized the book. I was overjoyed. I hadn't thought there was anyone else in the world who had read this book. I hadn't thought there was anyone I could ever talk to about it. I started crying while he held me. I tried to explain. I said, you know, when you write your book, you create in quiet, in silence, in solitude. You write and you don't know where it's going to go or what it's going to do, You don't know if anyone will read it or understand. All you know is that you have to write it, or some part of you will die. He held me firmly, warmly. Silence reigned for some time, a silence that drowned even the sounds of the rain. Then he said, almost sadly, it will take a really special person to be with you. I don't think I could do it. We stood watching the rain as I listened to the words beneath his words. Finally, I replied, I know. No one could ever have me, not fully. There's always a part of me that will be with the creation. Then my dream granted me a gift of inexpressible grace where we stood in perfect accord for a long, long time before I awoke. It felt so good to be held in a perfect and undemanding expression of love it felt so good to have someone understand. It was the first time, I think, that I had ever felt understood. That dream and Morgan's sad and wise wisdom helped anchor the feeling within me. For who, after all, could capture Morgan de Fay? Who could truly hold her? Her purpose was to heal the wounded, the sick, the lost and lonely men that came into her garden. Part of how she healed them was through her own perfect presence. None could stay for long in her bubbling sanctuary, no matter how much they wanted to. None could truly touch her. None could make demands of her. She had given herself over to God. I am not lonely, reader, but I feel today the ache of having evolved past the false understanding of love that I held before. Sometimes, there's a part of me that wants to crawl back into it, to call the man I left so many months ago and see just one more time if he's truly forgotten me. The path I've chosen, it suits me. The solitude and the adventure and the long, long days of listening. But some days, this path feels narrow and rocky, like I'm miles from anyone who can hold me. I've given up everything I've ever known because I had to, because the known had grown too small for me. This was my promise, my vow, and deep down I know I wouldn't have it any other way. But some days I have to look back on all I've left behind. I have to remember to grieve. As I walked back today from the Basilica de Marie medelems the rain, which had been falling all day, finally lightened to a mist. The field in front of me was laden with purple flowers and bursting with stalks of glistening field grass, waving in a genial breeze. As I walked, the pristine countryside unrolled before me, a patchwork of buttery wheat fields and verdant leaves. And above it all arced a perfect rainbow. Butterflies danced around me as I stopped and gazed in wonder. The rainbow held colors in it and a depth I'd never seen before. I drank it in as raindrops shook from the trees above and scattered over me like a laugh, like a blessing, like a baptism. It was, of course, the promise after the cataclysm. It was hope shining through the grief, a reminder of all the joy I held within me. It was a reminder too, that the prism of colors suspended above me, a breathtaking message of beauty, was refracted through water that had once lived in the deepest, and darkest of wealth.